welcome back to The Doctor Is In. We are entering our fourth year of podcasting and looking back at our start. We started the podcast during the peak of the 2020 COVID quarantines in an effort to continue to speak with our colleagues when we could no longer meet in person. As we return to our beginnings, we encourage you to listen to our guests' most recent interviews after you hear their first and see their growth and adaptation through these unprecedented times. This is our last interview, and it's our interview with John Chandler, originally recorded in April of 2020. We have loved returning to our roots with you this summer. Join us next week for a new interview for our series, What Plants Crave. Nadia will be interviewing Brian Anderson of Anderson Porter Design. Truly, thank you for growing with us. Welcome to The Doctor Is In Quarantine. In this podcast series, I'm talking to friends and colleagues in the cannabis and horticulture industries to see how they're doing during the COVID-19 crisis. You'll hear conversations about the impacts we've seen so far on the supply and demand of agricultural products and resources, how travel schedules for work and conferences have been upended, and how we're all coping with toilet paper shortages, or not. My guests also give their predictions for the medium and long-term impacts this pandemic may have on our industries and society at large. The general consensus is that it depends a lot on how long the quarantine will last. With that, I invite you to sit back and join the conversation. If you wanna share any of your experiences or observations through this crisis, you can find us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Enjoy. In this episode, I'm talking to Chandler, a cultivation consultant with over 10 years of designing and managing large-scale cannabis cultivation facilities. Prior to specializing cannabis, Chandler consulted for tomato greenhouse growers using both certified organic and conventional hydroponic methods. He's also managed several certified organic farms in Texas and even interned at the Rodell Institute. Chandler has had his pulse on the cannabis industry for a really long time. And I was curious to hear how he's doing and how he's seen any changes in the cannabis industry um, since this COVID crisis began. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with Chandler. Hey, you. Hey, you. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm enjoying this. Good. Me too. I will be perfectly honest. My travel schedule. Oh my God. It, um, it seriously lightened up. I was supposed to give my last like presentation talk today in Phoenix. And obviously that didn't happen. And then from here on out, I was still traveling a lot, but I was just, you know, on panels. So it was like, okay, it's going to be kind of a lot more low key, but it was still traveling and it is so nice to be grounded and to be here and with my family. It's nice. Right. I mean, I haven't felt this rested. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm like permanently jet lagged and this is amazing to like be told to stay home. And I mean, I mean, in between you and me, like Frank, Frank's even like picking up on the, on the met, the coronavirus message now too. And so not, and sort of discouraging travel as well. Um, I know. I couldn't believe that when he said that in our meeting on Monday, like be safe out there guys and only have to be there when you need to be. And it was really nice to hear that from him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He hadn't really said anything about it, but then, um, it's good. So, yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm, 
I'm really liking this, you know, like I'm concerned for, um, my family and in the world, but like it, it, the way it's affecting my personal life is, is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you are in California right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm in my, uh, studio in Carmel Valley. It's yeah. I mean, if, Luckily, I don't like the urban life, and so living out here is, uh, yeah, is really nice. I mean, I've got, I've got miles and miles of beautiful, beautiful uh, hiking trails right outside my uh, front door, and so, yeah, I feel very fortunate, you know. And yeah, when I uh, heard my my sister yesterday sent me an article um, from the San Francisco Chronicle saying that the Bay Area was no longer deeming construction as an essential service, unless it has to do with healthcare, affordable housing, and some other public works projects. And I was- Following suit with with New York City? No, in the Bay Area. Right. Well, yeah, New York had 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 implemented that last week, and so I guess the okay. Bay Area. I hadn't heard that the that the Bay Area uh, had, had had followed suit, but yeah, it was just announced yesterday. Oh wow! Um, so you know, I don't know how that necessarily affects us. I, you know, I I feel fortunate myself to be serving an essential industry, and two of them: <laughs> agriculture for food and cannabis for medicine and recreation. So I I don't know, I've been sort of curious, is is my business model recession proof? Uh, (laughs) Are we gonna be able to get through this? And so far, so good. Uh, You know, our projects are still moving forward. We've started a couple of new projects, in fact, which is amazing. Uh, the, the lead calls have definitely slowed down, I would say, which I'm also not upset about in the sense of, I have more time to work on big projects like CalGrow, um, and maybe have more time to work on projects like CalGrow because we're going to be delayed. And I think everyone on the receiving end of Frank is a little bit grateful to have a breather to really step back and make sure, uh, that all of our ducks are in a row before, you know major money is spent but yeah yeah well so so calgro is in monterey county which is where i I also live in monterey county and they followed suit with the shelter in place order you know even though there aren't very you know there's relatively few cases in the county um they followed suit with the bay area very shortly afterwards as soon as they identified their first case because there's not a lot of testing here Um, and so, I mean, I could be wrong. There could be a lot of cases, but we just don't know because I mean, I've, I actually had a friend, a close friend here that that was sick and showing symptoms and, uh, she couldn't get a test to save her life. Um, uh, any sort of, she couldn't get tested for strep or flu or, or COVID or anything. So, um, and, uh, which is disconcerting. So, so maybe there are cases, more cases here. I think there's like 30 confirmed in the County, but it is possible. That is actually concerning to me now that I hear that the Bay Area postponed or or is prohibiting construction because uh, Monterey County is likely, you know, they're t- sort of likely to follow their their big brothers. You know, we're we're 
more or less a suburb of the Bay. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, and people don't commute to San Francisco or Oakland from here, but it's, it's sort of like a little cousin. So yeah, hopefully that, hopefully construction doesn't get, doesn't get squashed in Monterey too, because that would be, that would be problematic for us. Yeah. Sacramento, I mean, you know, we're not far away either. And we seem to be maybe five days behind decisions that are made in the Bay Area. So I could see that coming as well. I I do think that, you know, in Monterey County, if there are just a few cases and they decided to shelter in place, that's probably the best time to make that order is before you have a lot of cases. That's the way that we bend this curve is to make those decisions before it's too late, before there's a problem. So I'm, I'm encouraged that Monterey County did that sooner than later. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, it seems like our country responded too slowly that if we would have sheltered in place a couple of weeks earlier, we, we might not uh, have the dilemma that we do with hospitals right now. But. Right. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. How's your family? They're all in Colorado, right? Yeah, my whole family lives in Colorado, and they're they're doing great. Also, Colorado, they're all in Colorado Springs, and and uh, Colorado Springs is fortunate also that it it's not a, a super dense urban area, and it there there there's very few cases there, and they have comfortable places to hold up. And I I'm planning on driving there actually this. If we're still in 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 a holding pattern for travel, I'm still I think going to drive there uh, to see them uh, this summer before Calgary gets too far along. Mm. It's so crazy. Like my my mom and stepdad live in Sacramento, and my sister has been shelter in place in Santa Clara County since I don't know what for two weeks and two days, and we've all been quarantined basically for at least two weeks and it's just like when can we actually see each other you know (laughs) like I I'm totally comfortable I know my my sister is a responsible person and if she wanted to drive to Sacramento and stay with us for a couple of weeks then I you know Marcy and I are totally okay with that but is is it socially okay is it are we still at risk? At what point are we really allowed to see each other? Like my mom is, of course, freaking out because, you know, she's a mother and older and I mean, Lysoling everything every day <laughs> in her house, even though no one has been allowed in or out for probably four weeks. Because I'm sure she self-quarantined two weeks before, you know, the country said to. Uh, <laughs> so crazy. And it's just like, okay, if we've all been in quarantine for a few weeks and maybe we had symptoms two weeks ago, maybe we've never had symptoms. If the incubation period is 14 days, at what point is it okay for us to commune again, at least with the people that we know have also been quarantined or quarantined themselves? I mean, as a scientist, it sounds safe to me if if you haven't been seeing people for 14 days and and uh, your family hasn't been seeing people for 14 days and there's no symptoms, then I mean, I don't see why not. It's definitely spooky. I definitely, I, I'm not that concerned about getting it myself. I just don't want to be a carrier. Um, exactly. Because we, we don't know who we could transmit it to that's immunocompromised and you know Marcia's mom has stage four breast cancer Mm. and we are her primary caregiver so we are definitely 
precautious. And, you know, we, we, we don't need to see her very often, at least right now, but we do, uh, her, she has a cat that has diabetes. And so we go over two or three times a week to give her cat fluids. Uh, and so, you know, in the first, I would say in the first week and a half, not even, even before like the self, even before the quarantine and self-isolation started, we were going over there in masks and gloves just because we wanted to take that, that extra precaution. And now that it's been so long, okay, we make sure that we're wearing clean clothes and we wash our hands really well, but, um, you know, we're going over there not wearing face masks, I guess. And, um, but still trying to take care of ourselves so we can take care of her and her cat. Um, so yeah, we definitely are concerned about being carriers and, you know, we're, we're young and healthy and don't have a lot of those, um, other immunocompromised conditions that seems to be gripping people. Right, right. <clears throat> but it's, yeah, it's the people around us that have those issues that we have to be most careful of. Right. Well, so Marcy is not working, I would, I, I guess. No, she's not working. Mm. She was starting to work a lot there for a minute. She was working at, actually at our local pet store uh, for, I don't know, maybe a month or two. And two weeks ago, she's like, I can't anymore. Like, I just can't be around people and even if I'm wearing gloves and a face mask I I can't do this because of my mom like if her mom wasn't here and we weren't seeing other people she probably would still be working you know like we we wouldn't care as much or be as cautious but no she's not she's not working I'm coming into the office myself marcia joins me uh and paints over here and she takes care of our vertical farm we have our vertical farm up and running again if you need any produce uh, <laughs> let us know we have so much lettuce uh and arugula and we'll have basil pretty soon so let me know uh it's a pretty quick trip <laughs> so she's staying busy and i'm i'm still having company but everybody else is working remotely right now oh so you're you're going to the office and stay focused but but you're having you you're not having your peoples come in. Yeah, my peoples aren't coming in. You know, Long was already uh, working remotely in LA and coming up to the office, you know, once a month. So we were already uh, kind of in that groove. Lydia's working from home, and I still and Shanda's working from home. We're we're all still able to communicate well. I'm really glad that we invested in Zoom last summer. It definitely comes in handy. And yeah, I mean, the work that we do, we could do from anywhere. So yeah. we're, we're lucky in that way too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad I, yeah, I hear that there's not, that there's a slowdown in new projects, but the, the existing projects are still full, full bore for the most part. Um, they are. And it, it must be because most of them are already well-funded and invested in. And so as long as they have, money in the bank they're going to keep going forward i think yeah. i don't know and until cash gets really tight and then they have to let something go but again as long as food and cannabis are essential and people are demanding it then why would you stop creating a project or developing a project that they you know has a market value 
I hope I hope that uh, legal legal deliveries are picking up in California. Um, I'm glad the dispensaries are open, but yeah. what I'd really like to see come out of this actually is we need more legal sales in the state, basically. Right, right. So, you know, everyone's moving to delivery everything. Well, um, you know, during this coronavirus, well, then why not? Why not really step up legal cannabis deliver- deliveries and compete with? You know, the fact that we know that there's illegal cannabis deliveries going on in California. So um, that's a really good point. Yeah. That's a great point. And and all the the restaurants or at least the big chains that are doing free deliveries. If if you're at home, we're we're gonna feed you type of messages or whatever. It would yeah. be nice to even be able to support local dispensaries or delivery companies that yeah, apparently Nevada went to um, to delivery only, and so they. Really? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and so the state actually said, okay, well, you, we're going to need more delivery vehicles, licensed delivery vehicles. So they they even went to a, a remote sort of video uh, inspection system as well to, no to way. their people, and so yeah, so and so they're responding in a. Um, in, in an effective manner. And I'm sure that, that, that some people will start using delivery service by necessity in Nevada. And that will, that will carry over, um, whenever this is all over. But so I'd like to see California take the same steps and, you know, clear whatever hurdles there are and let's get people out of the actual retail locations and increase deliveries of legal cannabis, legal licensed, uh, tested, cannabis in California. That's so interesting. You actually bring up something I hadn't thought about. I mean, it's sort of the ancillary services to the cannabis industry, like lab testing. How, how is that being performed? Um, yeah, well, in California, the whole industry is deemed has been deemed necessary uh, or essential. So, so they can still operate um, the cannabis labs in California. I believe, you know, Oklahoma is the same. The whole industry is sort of protected as an essential service, but. Have you heard of any states that have not deemed cannabis essential? Uh, yeah, there's states that it hasn't been addressed directly, I believe. And and I don't, I don't believe that, that in any of the like sort of executive orders by the states was cannabis actually specified, but then they're their regulatory agencies came and, you know, provided clarification the day after, the day or two afterwards. But I think there's some states where it's still sort of being overlooked. But for the most part, I think states are, for medical, for sure. Um, right, sure. I, I know in Massachusetts, their recreational stores had to close, but the, the med- medicinal stores could stay open. Well, there uh, weren't any recreational stores anyway, so. <laughs> in Massachusetts? Like, yeah, like there's three or something. Yeah, it's of, yeah. <laughs> so that didn't really have an impact on the industry. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> Do you think cannabis use is going to increase during this COVID quarantine? I mean, people are staying at home. You know, this is a recreation that is deemed necessary and essential. People are going to like start growing these beer guts and like, you know, maybe I should... I don't want to eat all, drink all my calories anymore, but I still want to be in an alternate state of mind. Do you think that, I don't know, cannabis use will increase? Do you think there'll be any new users during this time? 
Yeah, I mean, I think stress is one of those things that lead people to cannabis use for sure, and it's effective. And um, and so, you know, we've already seen data from previous recessions and uh, difficult periods that that alcohol use actually goes up during. Uh, challenging times. And so I, I don't see any reason why cannabis wouldn't see the same spike in, in number of users and amount of amount of use. Um, I'm elated that, that the legal industry is still, for the most part, still being allowed to operate in, in the United States so that, that people don't have to turn to alcohol and they can use cannabis as, as much as they, uh, they want to. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny to think about that. I, Two weeks ago, the day before we in Sacramento were told to shelter in place, I went to Rite Aid. I don't know why to pick up a couple things. And I was in line and the lady next to me had in her basket six bottles of wine and like some cookies and candy or whatever. And she's like, I have to stay at home with my kids till who knows when. So I'm not stocking up on toilet paper. I'm stocking up on wine. And it's really funny. <laughs> One, something that's like so unique about the cannabis industry is that it's state by state. And we have, this industry has been state quarantined, if you will, uh, from the beginning of legalization. And with some of the, the talk and debate controversy around state quarantines and uh, limiting interstate commerce, it, it sort of dawns on me that cannabis has been dealing with that state of affairs for a really long time and for something that's new for a lot of other industries. Do you think that that, uh, that makes us or the cannabis industry sort of uniquely positioned to be able to to sustain their businesses and their business model because it's always been sort of insular. And if there's any lessons that the cannabis industry has learned that they could convey to these other guys that might be dealing with limited commerce. <laughs> All the jumping through gray hoops and um, gray hoops, <laughs> dodging, you know, and, and, and sort of trying to navigate pseudo laws and, pseudo legality. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one for me. I, I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know. It just, it, it was just something that I, I found curious when, when people started talking about it. And I'm just like, yeah, well, cannabis has been dealing with this already, so you know, no big deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and people are going to find a way. I mean, you, you sort of touched on that. That yes, the legal market is working within a state system. But of course, there's still the illegal black market that crosses borders and, you know, they're, they're fluid. Um, and New York, I don't know if you heard about this, but Pennsylvania, and there might even be another state out there that has done the same thing, has made it illegal to sell and buy liquor during the quarantine. So what are people doing? They are driving across state borders to places like New York and buying alcohol, which is exactly the opposite of what we want to happen, right? Is especially in New York. I was just like, wait a second, like how badly do you need the alcohol? 
clearly, you know, prohibition doesn't work. We, we already know that, but um, it's curious that, yeah, people will find a way no matter what. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I, this particular situation is I think better for the black market or um, than it is for the legal market. Um, and that's why I think it's really important that the states realize that and realize that that people need access to good, clean cannabis uh, that's been tested, that's been vetted, that's been taxed, so that they need to, to, to slash away any hurdles that are getting in the way and allowing, allowing legal companies that have invested in doing the right thing, you know, pave the way for them to, to be successful and, and get through this time. You know, like it's, it's already, it's California is already struggling, uh, the cannabis industry is. So why, why, why not continue to try to help? But, you know, the state of California is uh, frustrating beyond belief. So I don't, I don't, I'm not holding high hopes. It was, I mean, it was disappointing this year when taxes went up because I just felt like all the, all the research and all the voices who are saying, if you want the legal market to be a viable market and for people to stop going to the black market, you have to reduce taxes or fees or just the cost of purchasing it legally because what is preventing someone who already has a steady supply from their neighbor um, or their neighbor's friend um, to get it, you know, to get an eighth for 20 or $25 when they have to go to a dispensary and spend $50 on something that has been taxed and increased in price by a hundred percent. Like there's not a lot of incentive, at least economically, financially, for someone who already has the channels to buy, to purchase through the black market to switch. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. The The benefit is, is that it's, you know what you're buying and yeah. it's been tested. So you know that it's clean and that you have theoretically a, a greater, greater number of choices. And somebody's being held responsible for the quality of that product. So to me, it, it you know, I would, I wouldn't buy a, a black market product anyhow but but folks that that um, are struggling to make ends meet on the other hand and it's literally half the price yeah I'd, i totally understand that they that they that they buy from uh the guy down the street without really knowing what how it was grown and and whether or not it's safe to use and and so especially when it seems like the most vulnerable economically in our country are being hit the hardest with this epidemic they're not likely to, to have expendable income, especially right now to support the legal industry. So mm. do you, so you mentioned earlier about delivery systems and hoping that there's more cannabis delivery and options for delivery um, through this crisis. And then that spawns maybe um, more businesses and more interest in deliveries after the crisis. Are there any other hopes you have for the cannabis industry coming out of this crisis? Do you think it depends on how long the crisis lasts? Yeah, I mean, I think the longer that this 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 lasts, this sort of imposed quarantines and shelter-in-place orders, the, the more of a long-term impact it's going to have. I mean, I think the delivery model is a good one um, for for cannabis. 
I think I think the 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 recognition, you know, the, where sort of face masks are now becoming a cool thing to be wearing. I really like that, you know, is where it's hard to convince people. Um, and uh, when you tell them they need to wear a face mask when they're walking through your crop, uh, that is that. Yeah. So so sort of biosecurity and just keeping a keeping a clean crop when somebody's breathing on it, it's impossible to keep it. Uh, clean and healthy for people and so hopefully yeah hopefully this is going to increase like have an elevated heightened awareness how diseases and just germs spread yeah it's always been a problem of of uh, that i've seen in the industry that people don't really take cleanliness too too seriously a lot of it's sort of a show and a talk but so i'd I'd love to see uh, true effective prevention measures uh, continue within the cannabis crop for sure. Yeah. Seeing people walking around with gloves and face masks and I don't know, jumpers, suits, (laughs) all of a sudden doesn't look or feel as strange. It feels more like you're, you're out of place if you're not taking precautions than if you are. Marcia went to the grocery store about a week ago and she wore a face mask and gloves and she was flabbergasted by the old people who were in the grocery store taking no precaution at all. None of them were wearing face masks. None of them were wearing gloves. They didn't have a young person with them handling stuff. Like they were just doing their thing like they always do. She comes home and she takes a shower, washes her hair, and, you know, it's like a big to-do. Yeah, it's it, it's so interesting the people who are and aren't taking it seriously. You know, for me, I remember when I lived in Japan, it was commonplace for people to wear face masks. And in the office, on the subway, and the trains, out in public. And I'll never forget one of my office mates showing up to work with a face mask, not because he was afraid of getting sick, but because he was sick and he didn't want to get everybody else sick. I was just like, wow, like, that's really nice of you. That is so courteous. And to see it here um, popping up, like, I'm sort of curious if maybe that will be something that has some longevity Uh, here in the U.S. like it is in in Asian countries. And I don't know why in Asian countries that's common practice and here it's not. But that's a really good point about being in these grow facilities, whether it's for food or for cannabis, is, um, yeah, suiting up, (laughs) being clean, not 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 even carrying it and transferring it from one room to another, from one facility to another, from your garden to the facility. Right. I mean, I've always been very concerned as from a grower's perspective of um, contaminating someone else's crop or having someone come in and contaminate my crop. Um, because although you can handle any sort of outbreak, just like the United States and the world is handling the coronavirus, you can handle any outbreak within a, a cultivation, but but you you'd rather not spray. And you you you, you re, I mean the crop is best if you if you just leave it to its own device devices and it stays clean, you know. But if you need to spray, you need to spray. And so preventing that spread is is key. And so you know um, I've always been a fan of suiting up between rooms. You know, if you're in one room, you suit up into another, you know, before you go into the next one Um, and you change your gloves, you know, for sure. You always change your gloves between crops. 
so hopefully, hopefully people get the message. Like it's not just coronavirus, but it's, it's, there's a, a tremendous amount of other microbiology and, and, um, very minuscule pests that can, that we're, that we're vectors of, you know, that yeah. we carry from, uh, from place to place. And so I've been met with resistance a lot when I'm really a stickler about, Hey, you got to suit up. Oh yeah. You got to put the booties on. Yeah. You got to change your gloves between, between crops. And, um, people act like I'm being a nervous Nancy or, or, or something like that, you know, just, but it's, it's like, look, I don't want to have to spray my crop, you know, and, and I'm not going to let you do something to it that, uh, it makes me do that. So, so hopefully, hopefully this increases awareness is, and it seems like it seems like it's gonna, you know, I'd love to see people more face masks in the United States. Yeah. Public. So if they were only available. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it, you know, with all the microbiology that out, that's out there, sometimes it surprises me that we're alive at all. Um, we're constantly fighting off things. And, um, you know, of course, there's all these reports that are coming out with, you know, what, what's on the bottom of your shoes and they do the swab test and it's, you know, a million different mold spores and a million different bacteria and all these different things. And it's like, well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's amazing how naive we are, but even just thinking about what's on the bottom of our shoes and stepping in, you know, the, um, the sanitation, uh, what is the the stuff called, um, when you walk into a facility, um, foot bath. Yeah. Stepping into a foot bath is that makes a big difference. Like, I mean, we are tromping around. Can you remember where you walked 10 minutes ago or 10 days ago? I mean, all that stuff is still sticking to your shoes, especially mold spores. You know, if it's bacteria or something else or virus that needs, you know, like to something to survive, to live on, but spores and pollen, I mean, they're meant to be dormant until they have a place to grow. Yeah. So yeah, we need to make sure that we kill those things before we tromp them into a, a facility. Yep. Yeah. So do you have enough toilet paper? <laughs> you know, I was running out actually, um, as this whole, as the whole thing went down and no, I was not able to buy any, but fortunately I mentioned it to a couple friends and they, they, they showed up, um, and, uh, passed off some toilet paper. So for, nice. yeah, I do, but not because, <laughs> not, not because I found any at the, the grocery store. You know, I can't believe that it's still unfindable. It's ridiculous. I mean, Everyone said that, oh, give it a week and it'll come back. And, you know, like, this is not something you need to be be concerned about. But why is that aisle still full of empty shelves? I don't get it. Yeah, it's sad. I just read something about another, yeah, somebody just, like, turned their factory into a toilet paper making uh, factory. No way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is so funny. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, it is spring. So there are some fresh young leaves on the trees. So if we get really <laughs> desperate, we can go real old school style. I got ticks that way, so watch out. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, when I was a kid, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, wow. <laughs> watch out. Do ticks live up in trees or just down on the ground? I don't, I think they live, I think depending on the species, I think they, they live in a lot of different places. I know that some of them um, crawl up and sort of hang on the tips of leaves and wait for a mammal to walk by so they can grab them. So 
Um, and so that was you. Um, yeah. In one case, I apparently I found, I found the mother load. <laughs> Did you have multiple? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I had, yeah, I had tons. I, I went, I was, uh, on like a boating trip with my family and we, uh, I had to get off on the, uh, on like an Island to go, uh, use the restroom. And I came back completely covered in ticks and I had used, I am pretty sure we didn't have toilet paper and I pretty sure I had used some leaves. Um, but I, I come back and I like sit back on the boat and I, I raise my arms up and my mom's like, she sees like, she's like what is that? And I had hundreds of ticks on me. Yeah. Hundreds. But yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Did they like rush you to the hospital? Like, what did you do? Did they throw um, you in the fire to burn them all off? Um, I think she gave me a bath in uh, rubbing alcohol, if I remember correctly. She like poured rubbing alcohol all over me. Wow. Please yeah, tell was... me there's a picture somewhere of kids <laughs> all over you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mom was good at taking pictures, but I don't know that that was what she was thinking of. Yeah, that. okay, that's <laughs> <laughs> now and yeah that was pre that was pre i everybody has an iphone in their pocket you know oh that's true that's true <laughs> yeah do me a favor and don't share that one. Oh my gosh are you kidding me that's like going on the bloopers reel or something i'm not sure <laughs> i like toilet paper myself when i go camping now i bring toilet paper i i bet you do <laughs> Wow. Okay. I'm going to go camping with you. Uh, remind me of that. And, um, <laughs> wow. So have you been in touch with any of the other horticulture industries? I know you come from more traditional horticulture. Have you been keeping your eye on what's going on with any of them? Yeah. From what I, from, from what I've heard from just a few people, it's, um, you know, because really so many people are flocking out of traditional horticulture into cannabis now. And, and so, and I've been in this cannabis deal for so long now that I, I don't actually have a tremendous amount of uh, people in traditional horticulture anymore, but you know, they're, they're all business as usual. And, and then just having to take, you know, like their business is more challenging because is because they're, they're having to take extra sort of distancing measures within their facilities. They're having increased challenges in getting workers um, because there's a lot of people that are afraid to work right now. Mm. And then oftentimes the, the outlets, you know, like things aren't necessarily, they're either selling a lot or they're not selling, you know, like, so channels that are successful, like that are not being um, uh, restricted are increasing. And, and then there's all other channels that are sort of diminishing. So, um, and with food, you know, there's only so much storage life, shelf life that a product has. And so it's definitely disruptive. And it's, I mean, I'm not trying to say that it's, it's business as usual necessarily. It's, um, they're being allowed to operate, but they're going to, certainly going to have to um, uh, get creative in a whole number of realms, uh, both with operations and with sales. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm hearing too, that, a lot of it depends on what it is you're selling. So what is it you're growing um, and who is your primary market? Like who, who's, who's your primary buyer? And for on the food side, if your primary source of income came from restaurants, yeah, forget it, right? Yeah. 
but if you could pivot to serve more local grocers that might be struggling to keep product on the shelf or if their supply chain has dried up from some remote location, then maybe there's an opportunity for you to get some uh, shelf space in those situations. And then on, you know, I've been sort of curious hearing some stories about ornamentals in floriculture. And when it comes to flowers, you know, it's kind of uh, not essential. I mean, the, the businesses are still staying open, but when it comes to our disposable income, are we going to buy, you know, a bouquet of flowers? Well, that was touched by, you know, who knows who um, and by how many fingers and put them in our living room or on our dining room table. And certainly small retailers, it sounds like they're either closing or struggling to stay open. And then you have the, the Home Depots and Lowe's and Walmarts and these big garden centers that are still taking product and still able to sell it because people are outside gardening because it's springtime. <laughs> and they're home. And they're home, exactly. And, you know, but how long does that last? I mean, you know, in June, July, nobody's planting anything anymore. So, okay, we're okay for now, but then what happens, you know, a couple months from now, after yeah. all the big holidays are over too, you know, like we have Easter and Mother's Day that are coming up where, you know, are, are we going to be buying our, our mother's flowers? Right. No, my mom, are you kidding? My mom would like have to spray it with alcohol first um, <laughs> if she could find it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah. In, yeah, this thing, it's definitely incredibly disruptive to our economy. And, and although, yeah, we still have to eat and we still, we still want to have flowers and things like that. It's, it's, it's still incredibly disruptive to the, to the way that we're, we're purchasing and, and going about life, right? Like you say, not giving flowers to your, to your mother, you know, like she wouldn't receive them even. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wouldn't, I normally have flowers delivered to my mom and, and, um, I'm not going to do that to her, um, even though she'd still love them. Um, I'm not going to put her at risk that way, but it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And I, 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 what, how, how the economy, um, comes about, but I'd like to see, I've always been a big fan of local, uh, food and, and sort of agriculture systems where we have, where we get away from the, um, such large scale and big shipping. And, and I'd really like to see, I, I hope that um, more of that is able to be more prevalent. Like I know local food service deliveries or local local food deliveries, friends that have farms that sell to like farmhouse delivery type uh, models are doing really well right now. And so people that used to be selling to restaurants are shifting into that, like you mentioned people that shipped meat, you know, farms that ship meat directly to customers, their, their sales tend to be way up if they, if they have an easy way, if they, if they make it easy for their customers to order. And so they oftentimes are sold out uh, now, um, I see. So um, I, hope, I hope more of that, I hope, I hope the, the local food revolution comes back stronger from, from this coronavirus, and, and we'll see. I mean, we're definitely the United States will never be the same. I, I, you know, we're always in a constant state of change, but this is definitely going to change us in a big way. So we'll see. Yeah. 
Are you eating all your leftovers in your fridge? I'd say that I'm doing a much better job than I normally do because you, you know how it is. If you're on a plane every week, yeah. it's like you you buy groceries and fresh vegetables with the hopes of eating them. And and I never, I mean, I, yeah, I'm embarrassed how much food that I, I used to throw away. And I'm doing a really good job. You know, when when eating out and, and a plane trip, when eating out locally is not an option really. Because, yeah, I don't have where I live. There's no there's no food delivery happening out here. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm doing a much better job of eating everything in my fridge and not throwing away food. So is there anything surprising that you're running out of food wise <laughs> that normally you wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, fresh vegetables. It's hard for me, yeah. me to, yeah, you know, like, so on my Costco list, I, I haven't been to the grocery store in, in, um, in almost 10 days now. And it's going to be time um, sometime by the end of the week. And I've got frozen veggies, fresh veggies is on the list always, but now I'm going to make sure I get frozen veggies so that I, it, you know, after that four day period where I gobble up all the freshies, yeah, yeah. And I have veggies still that I can pull out of the freezer. Yeah. That's a really good point. If we're not <laughs> supposed to go out and grocery shop for 10 or 14 days, yeah, that fresh produce is not still very fresh by that time, which actually, you know, we, we do, um, subscribe to, a, a, a local CSA and I, we've definitely noticed that the shelf life or at least the refrigerator shelf life is much longer with those produce than what we get at the grocery store, which is not surprising at all because, you know, what's in the grocery store had, was probably picked, a week ago, but this was picked yesterday. So, you know, you, you get that extra seven days of life, uh, from something that was just picked. Nice. Um, So how has that been? Is that, has your CSA been affected by this? No, not that I can tell. Well, uh, okay. I'll let me step back that back for just a second. Uh, my mom actually just was telling me a couple days ago that, um, her CSA box, she got an alert that said, we're delivering your box of vegetables or whatever your produce, uh, tomorrow, which was a day later than normally scheduled. And she's like, okay, you know, like, thanks, you know, for the heads up. And then it didn't arrive and then it didn't arrive and it ended up being several days late. So it did still arrive. Um, but yeah, I, there was a delay. Yeah. So I guess it's not perfect. And and I don't know what the reasoning behind that is. Maybe it's the social distancing of people out there picking. Maybe it has to do with quarantining produce or boxes or something before they can deliver it. Maybe it's just not having enough staff to deliver it. Like you were saying, people are afraid to work or people are staying at home. Um, but that's a good question why why those delays would occur but but still able to deliver even if late i noticed that yeah my local safeway here in karma valley it was totally stripped of produce all the refrigerated items were pretty much stripped uh when i was in there about 10 days ago granted that was right right when they were shutting things down um but in the county but uh I'm curious to know what's how it looks right now. Hmm. You know, that's something I'm, I wonder you mentioned, you were mentioning locally grown 
and maybe this helping to launch more interest uh, in supporting local agriculture and you know get to know your farmer type of things. But also, I wonder if people will have more of an appreciation for fresh produce. Period. You know, after after months of eating frozen meals and canned beans and pasta, uh, I wonder if people will be like, I can't wait for a salad, <laughs> Some, something colorful to put on my plate that has a crunch to it. Absolutely. And yeah. and as much as I feel bad for the restaurants, like, um, and all the service workers that work for them, I, I think it's great for America to remember how to cook again. Oh, like, yeah. You know, the, the grocery stores are having a hard time staying stocked because they're not used to people buying so many groceries because people That's aren't true. used to cooking for themselves. So that would be another great, yeah. I mean, not that, not that I'm anti-restaurant or anything, but it's like, hey, you know, there's something about cooking your own food. It is uh, very human. That is super true. I, I love how many, um, what, TV chefs have posted webinars and how-tos and all sorts of things for people to, to learn how to cook good food. For me, it, it's fairly commonplace. I, I do think, you know, the, the urge to want to go out to eat, you know, on, on the, there's always those certain days where it's just like, okay, I do not feel like cooking. Let's just go out and get a glass of wine and somebody else can prepare the meal and wash the dishes. <laughs> right. Yep. I know that too. Uh, and you know, it, it, the first week, there are a few days where it's just like, oh, I wish we could go out. But strangely, as I'm thinking about it, I haven't had that urge in a while. Yep. I'm with you on that. I had the same, I had the same sort of, yeah, desire to just go out like, geez, do we really have to cook again? Um, but now, yeah, I'm really getting used to it and uh, really enjoying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't had the thought of really needing to go out. Yeah. And we have not done any food delivery either. Uh, so we know it's an option and, and there are a few local restaurants where we've talked about that are doing like curbside pickup or delivery and just to even support local businesses and restaurateurs is, uh, you know, something we would like to do, but we haven't quite gotten to the point where we are going to do that. I mean, I don't know. Eating a nice meal in your home is not the same as eating a nice meal at a table at somebody else's business. <laughs> right, right. Have you talked to any of your friends at Urban Grow? Do you know how they're doing? <laughs> I don't. I have not and I don't. I'm cur- I'm I'm more I'm mostly curious just, you know, like we're we're you know, we're on the the service end and the user end. And I'm sort of curious the in-between of sort of the supply chain and if they're seeing um, any changes in the demand for their products or any shifts in shipping and receiving and and all that kind of good stuff. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have talked to a few vendors that remain unnamed, but, um, and they're saying that the new projects are, are, are starting to fold and not, and you know, say that they're not going to not going to move forward right now, and that the existing projects are still gung ho. So I think that it's it's okay in the short term, but there may be consequences 
moving forward. And then I believe that the shipping, um, you know, the, um, any equipment coming out of China is going to be affected. And so there will certainly be consequences from, from, from this, but, um, we may not, they may not be seen real immediately. Yeah. I feel the same way. It, it just, yeah. I mean, I think everybody probably realizes that is that the longer it drags out the, I don't know, the less opportunity, well, different opportunities, I guess. Um, certain opportunities go away and other opportunities arise. But, you know, for us, like we feel pretty good for at least the next month or so uh, with the existing projects we have and a couple of new ones that have started uh, in the midst of all of this. But, you know, without having all the lead calls I typically field in a week, uh, it's hard to know what is on the other side of a month from now and if we can sustain. So yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm grateful for CalGrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad, you know, even though I get frustrated that you're all you're you know you're always traveling to be on some keynote somewhere. Um I'm glad that you at least have um you know that 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 you will have as many leads as you as you uh, as you do um, for new projects. I'm glad to hear that you do have some stuff closing and new new facilities you're working on. That's good. Is you if they, if they take half as long as Calgrow, it'll be a while. Hopefully, this whole um, coronavirus thing will be long past us. Um, exactly. <laughs> by the time you're done working on those. <laughs> And if anyone ever in the future gives you pushback on the sanitation practices you want to implement on CalGrow, you can just look at them like they're crazy. <laughs> yep. Really? <laughs> yep. Assuming we can find the N95 masks, yes. <laughs> well, um, yeah, on that note, I mean, we can conclude this part of the conversation unless there's anything else that you want to talk about or bring up or ask me. Um, I, I really appreciate having the conversation with you. It's really fun to to talk not necessarily about CalGrow and just talk about, yeah, things that are going on and Absolutely. affect the industry. Absolutely. Always good to chat. Um, yeah. And uh, not quite as good as being face to face uh, uh, with a drink in our hand, but hey, I'll take it. Me too. Me too. <laughs> that was my conversation with Chandler, organic farmer and cannabis consultant extraordinaire. Our conversation really got me thinking about the markets that our farmers sell to and how much goes to dining out, travel, and cooking at home. We spent a lot of time, and rightly so, focused on how this crisis is affecting local eateries and school lunch programs, but has also cut off a significant source of demand for farmers and food producers. As people eat more at home, grocery stores are having a hard time keeping their shelves stocked with produce, as well as toilet paper. Speaking of, I'm so glad Chandler has good friends willing to share their stockpiles of teepee so he doesn't have to risk another tick infestation. Thanks, Chandler, for the good laugh. Please forgive me for keeping that story in this conversation. 